the Media Society Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Media Society's very first monthly podcast. My name's Paul Blanchard, I'm Vice President of the Media Society. The idea of this podcast is that we're going to get a couple of interesting people around the table to chat about media matters. And for the very first one, we're joined by Torin Douglas. Torin, welcome. Hi, Paul. And we're also joined by Tim Collins. Tim. Hi there. So, Torin has had, well, it says here, 40 years covering media matters, 25 years of which at the BBC. And uh, congratulations on your um, is it honorary doctorate from the University of West London. That's right. I did a lecture for them uh, in October about 40 years of commercial radio. And suddenly, out of the blue, they said, oh, would you like to have an honorary doctorate, uh, do- be an honorary doctor of literature? So, um, wow. I'm an- a D-lit, an on-D-lit after my name, which is rather nice. Oh, congratulations. And you're a visiting professor at the University of Bedfordshire, is that correct? That's right. I've done nothing about that at all, but I'm about to meet somebody this week, one of the students, and, and, and talk to them, and it may be another lecture um, sometime next year. Oh, very, very interesting indeed. And Tim Collins, you're a producer on The Jeremy Vine Show. Are we, are, suppo- are we allowed to say that you're the most listened to news show in the UK yet? I think, why not? I'm not going <laughs> to correct you. That, that, that's good. We're certainly up there. Yeah, thank you, Paul. And have you been doing producing duties today? Certainly have, yeah. They let me out. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, busy today. Uh, not quite as busy as it was sort of last week with uh, passing away of Nelson Mandela, but, uh, but busy nonetheless, yeah. Well, let's start with the coverage of the death of President Mandela. Torin, what did you think to the recent coverage? I think it's been amazing. Newspapers, broadcasters have done a fantastic job. The issue is whether they did too much. Uh, and certainly on the night itself, uh, there was some criticism that they went overboard for Mandela uh, without covering the uh, really bad storms on the East Coast, the biggest surge for 60 years, which, of course, that was the news story everybody was expecting. Everybody was waiting to see would uh, homes be washed into the sea and so on. And then suddenly, in the hour before the 10 o'clock news on on BBC One, um, the news about um, Mandela dying came through. The BBC went straight into a really big coverage uh, of that all all evening. And um, they've had, in fact, 850 complaints from people who said they just overdid it. He was an old man. Um, He... uh uh, this this wasn't unexpected. There was other news. There was also the autumn statement by the Chancellor that day. So one of the issues was, did everybody do too much too soon? Well, just before we, we go on to that, I mean, Tim, what, how was it on the Jeremy Van show? I mean, you guys covered it in some detail, didn't you? Is it always the case that a, a big death like this, a big news story, is just going to dominate everything and throw everything else out of the water? Um, uh, not Not entirely. I mean, it's difficult because there's, um, you know, fine judgment at work in terms of what you do on it. And you, n- you're not going to satisfy everybody. Uh, but it was an immense story. Um, equally, however, um, the floods also were, were, were very big as well. And we were in the position of not sort of fully knowing quite how bad it would, would be. But we did uh, on obviously the news uh, with, with Mandela sort of broke on the Thursday evening. Our show goes out sort of lunchtime on a Friday, so there's a little bit, you know, opportunities to absorb sort of what what's going on. Um, but we did, we we didn't. I mean, our show is two hours, but we did. I think it was roughly sort of an hour on it, uh, and then equally sort of other time, you know, left over for for covering the floods. You know, the floods was a was a moving story, a, a legitimate story to cover as well. So so yeah, you know, you it's hard. You never get it completely right in. The, the view of everybody, but but you you certainly strive for that, you know, to to kind of feel the way people are feeling 
about it. And, and not everybody quite knows how they're going to feel about the, 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 the death of Mandela until it happens. These events that sometimes are widely anticipated, you don't quite know what you're going to think, how the nation's going to feel until it happens. Mm. Torin, I mean, you're no longer um, the BBC media correspondent, so you perhaps can be a bit more frank than you were before. Do you think the BBC overcovered it then on the night? I think they could have done a bit less in that 10 o'clock bulletin and a bit more about the others because what we didn't know immediately was that they were then going to devote, uh, they were going to go into an hour-long bulletin and then some some more. Um, so they moved Question Time. Question Time was later o- 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 on BBC Two. But I can understand why um, they did what they did. It's really interesting. I was having lunch the following day with three other former BBC correspondents. We meet up about every quarter just to chew the fat and uh, and remember it's the glory. Remember the glory. Absolutely. And obviously uh, put the world to rights. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them said to me, he heard the news break um, saying um, about the death and he said, that's going to cause a real problem for the editor of the 10 o'clock TV news because he's got to juggle the Mandela with the storms and with the Chancellor's autumn statement. Uh, I wonder which will lead. Was I mean, this was what he was saying. And he said he'd got it totally wrong that, that Mandela was so obviously the lead. But he hadn't been in the BBC for a while. And he said, no, that was absolutely right. But he'd already lost what he felt was his news judgment in terms um, of that. And James Harding, uh, the new director of BBC News, has justified uh, against the, the complainants. He, he's been on the BBC's uh, own airwaves uh, explaining that this was... Uh, as a historic, probably the greatest statesman of the last hundred years in terms of global impact and uh, and so on. And this was a moment of history, and that's why the BBC justified what they were doing. Do you think perhaps they were slightly overprepared? I'm sure that's always the case. I mean, the BBC on big obits has rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal, and um, there'd been a few scares in recent months mm, um, yes, when um, it was thought, in fact, I think one broadcaster who shall be nameless actually yeah. said... Uh, that Mandela had died and had to, had, had to retract. Um, so, yes, the BBC knew what it was doing, but it was interesting. We were watching uh, another channel and along came this track, breaking news on BBC One. It didn't say what it was, just breaking news on BBC One to encourage people to turn over. There were complaints that they broke away from Mrs Brown's Boys, uh, the comedy uh, series, uh, <laughs> and um, they, they missed the last 10 minutes uh, uh, of that. Uh, though... Um, I must credit the Media Guardian here. They said that um, when um, Mandela was released from prison in 1990, people complained that the Antiques Roadshow was cut short because of it. So there are some viewers who always would rather have something else. And how do you do that, Tim, on your show? Because clearly, you, you know, as, uh, Tim Vine often makes fun of his brother, doesn't he, that the Jeremy Vine show does the president and uh, the prime minister and then some gardening and <laughs> item. How do you mix the, the light and the, I was going to say dark, but the more serious? I mean, because we're sort of coming to it on, you know, a little while after it. So after you've had the sort of breaking news, once you're moving out of that zone, quite quickly, you you need to look at your coverage in order that it's not repetitive. You know, because just having sort of, you know, all sorts of people sort of saying, you know, Nelson Mandela, wasn't he amazing? And you had sort of quite a lot of that. Um, I, I suppose, um, you know, what you do... As a, as a news programme that's come, it's falling sort of slightly outside of that immediate sort of breaking news time zone is um, you do look to, to to shed some interesting sort of light on it. I mean, we, we, we um, you, you certainly prepare for the death of somebody like Nelson Mandela. But even so, actually, on the day, 
on the night. You've got all sorts of people looking to get them on their show. So it certainly doesn't feel like you're rolling out something that's pre-prepared. You are feeling your way through it and having massive difficulty getting hold of people. I mean, we did a, an interview that I think worked very well with them, um, with the goddaughter of Nelson Mandela and got her into, she lives in Britain, got her into the studio here. And, you know, that, that worked very well. And I, I think, you know, those are the sort of interviews, the types of things you're looking for, you know, as soon as, you know, that, that sort of breaking news sort of headline is, is dissipating. People know about the news, but people are looking for, I, I, I think, you know, for, for, for the media to, to, to shed new light on it, that, you know, stuff, stuff you haven't necessarily heard. Some people have said, though, Torin, for example, that the mail have undercooked the story. What's your view? That's right. I mean, the following day, the newspapers were full of it. It was breaking just as they were going to press. Mm. So they will have had to replate all their pages uh, but they did a fantastic job. Again, uh, as we were saying, this has been prepared. So they'd got lots and lots of articles written. They'd got the pages laid out just waiting for this moment. Uh, and there was page after page in most papers. And certainly the front pages of all the papers had a huge picture of, of, of Mandela. Interestingly, the Daily Mail, which is usually very good on these occasions, I thought slightly undercooked the story in that they had a front page picture and very big then page two and three were about the storms, which most other people had relegated by then way, way back in the paper. And then they only had four other pages, very nice pages, but it just seemed a lot less than um, the other newspapers w- were giving it. And then the day after that, the Saturday, then they came back with more because I think... Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Evening Standard, which is a sister paper, had page after page after page after page on Friday evening. I mean, I think some of that is to do with timing, isn't it? Because presumably when they go to press on Thursday night, no-one was quite sure how bad the storm was going to be. So there was a sort of sense, gosh, you know, if it is bad, we certainly don't want to have ignored it. You know, and I think, um, you know, most organisations were, were, were quite careful to, to ensure they didn't ignore the flood story. Um, and I thought there was quite a lot of coverage. I saw quite a lot of coverage in terms of rolling news broadcasters and things like that. Isn't, isn't that the issue as well? That, 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 you know, you don't want to be caught on the hop sort of not having done the floods at all. That's right. And of course, nobody... Sort of Mandela coverage. And the, the floods were due to hit their peak. Because it could have been really bad. I mean, it sounded hit bad. hit its peak at, at 11 o'clock at night. Um, and, of course, the papers would then have gone to press and nobody would yeah. know until the morning came. Fiendishly difficult for the That's papers right. in particular. But, of course, it did make it very difficult for the breakfast programmes as well, um, just how bad they were going to be, uh, the, the floods. So the BBC and other broadcasters had their people in the right place. They did. But there they was a lot just of that. didn't sort of necessarily get... Well, they certainly didn't get as much airtime as they would have done had something had... Uh, has, uh, if Mandela hadn't died the night before. But that is the nature of news. It's, it is. It's like the day Diana died. It's like the day that um, Kennedy died. Lots of other things happened on those days which you will never read about because they were just pushed pushed out. Well, the famous one, of course, being Mother Teresa dying on the same day that Diana did. And, of course, it's also going to be in the other news section, isn't it, rather than the, the dominating one. People like to think of news as sort of handed out on tablets of stone. And, of course, it's not. You know, it's what a group of people in charge of a programme, in charge of a paper, think listeners or readers might be interested in any given time. You know, and it, and it is difficult. You know, you are just judging, you're reacting to events and, and trying to do as, as good a job as you can. And you absolutely won't satisfy everybody. That's guaranteed. It's the problem I have in PR. I mean, I've worked in PR for 12 years, but my clients are adrift on the sea of news, I call it, because, you know, what, something that they do could be a page lead or a splash, depending on how slow news day is. On the other hand, if someone dies or a big event happens, it, it could be a nib on page eight. You just never know with these things. So it's, it's very, very difficult. isn't it, for the PRP? 
people. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great story. It's very good. Yeah. We have a lot of sympathy. For you. I find it very lot difficult to, if there's an event or something very specific that you can't immediately just rejig for the next day when it might be a bit of a slower day. So uh, anyway, I'm not going to tell you all the PR secrets. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> the other really interesting thing was on the night itself uh, when Rod Little, former BBC editor of the Today programme, but now is columnist it, is on, it the, on the officially Spectator. the most controversial former editor of the Today programme? I mean, there's the, uh, the list I, of I, I, Kevin Marsh is on the next podcast. <laughs> Actually, right. so no, we'll I, see. I, I think they're vying with each other. <laughs> vying with each other, but Kevin's, um, Kevin's lovely, though I will say that. Anyway, but uh, Rod Little, within hours of um, uh, of the death, had uh, tweeted um, or had no had actually um, written a column that then was tweeted uh, by people. But basically saying, for Christ's sake, BBC, give it a bloody break for five minutes, will you? And he goes on about this guy. He's you have to bear your entire self-flagellating white post-colonial bien-pensant guilt. Look, famous nice black man dies. Um, so that, on the night when he has died, to be saying that was very, very controversial. And, of course, Twitter yes. went, went wild. Do you think... I mean, I, I read that on Twitter and I knew... I just assumed that he was cynically trying to game it and engender as much controversy as possible and therefore ignoring him was the, the way to deal with that. What's, what's your view? Yeah, I mean, social media, it's interesting now because people um, don't necessarily need sort of broadcast channels in order to broadcast. You know, you can get an awful lot of, sort of stuff, stuff out there. I mean, social media adds a completely different dimension to how these events are, are, co- are covered. It happened also with Baroness Thatcher as well. So, um, you know, things can take, absolutely can take a, a, a life of their own. And, and, you know, as, as, as a broadcaster, you know, you're, you're sort, sort of part of that, you know, in terms of how you, how you deal with it, how you, how you re- respond to stuff. You know, it, it's quite un- uncharted waters, isn't it, I, I think. That's right, of... but death is obviously the most sensitive um, thing. And again, yeah. uh, columnists and controversialists tilt they, uh, at windmills. It, it's about pricking pomposity. Mm. I just think that when you look at that comment in relation to what has happened, uh, what happened in the days that followed in terms of the coverage everywhere... And just how many people uh, went to the funeral and th- and things like that. I mean, it's um, it's uh, I, it did leave a slightly nasty taste. I think sometimes we can forget. Um, people can be, you know, quite quite sensitive about things, e- even even after the um, you know the the you know in particular after after the death of somebody sort of prominent. I mean, it happened a bit with sort of Baroness Thatcher, where you had sort of people perhaps responding, saying they might have said something like, you know, uh, I, I may not have voted for, for Baroness Thatcher, but but look, you know, please, you know, at least, you know, for a while, you know, give it give it a break. You know, we, we do need, you know, remember her family, she was her friends, person. all the rest. Of it. There's yeah. a sense of sort of decorum that... that but pe- that was pe- only have. afterwards because so many people were behaving very badly I agree about, the, me, yeah. about the death of... Um, uh, of Margaret Thatcher. I think it's there anyway, actually. I think it's a sort of natural sense of, you know, whatever else you might think about somebody, they they were a loved one, they have passed away, you know, let's have a sort of sense of, you know, there is a sense of how to do it, you know, correctly, I guess. I've, I've often thought that kind of uh, social media is, is the symptom of a wider malaise in society's problems, because, you know, you, you meet people in the pub, and they'll say some of the things that some people will then tweet, and then, of course, that causes a media storm, because someone said something controversial, but actually, it's what several, you know, non-media, non-London types are often talking about. They've always been able to do it, it's just now you know the mechanism exists where, whereby people can get onto Twitter and say, and also the the downsides come with that as well. You know, journalists are familiar with media law. Ordinary members of the public, the celebrities, are not necessarily. So you get that problem as well, don't you? Well, you had Peaches uh, Gildorf uh, tweeting the names of two women who were part of a court case, 
Um, Incredible. She, to be fair, had done some research, or post hoc she had done some research, uh, and it turned out that the legal system themselves had put uh, the names up on uh, a website. So yes. there, there, there is right. a, an argument there. But as you say, okay. um, they are publishing. Being, being on Twitter is publishing. I think but she was just a bit thick, media. really, to be well, fair, wasn't I mean, she? Because identifying the parents leads to identification mm. of the children, which is, who are there to be protected. And I don't think she just, she just didn't think it through. I think that's right. I mean, the worst aspect of Twitter, I think, is the trolls who go after women and say the most appalling things. And Mary mm. Beard has mm. been very, very um, frank in terms of what she has been described as, to actually say the words that people used about yes. her. Uh, and hopefully some of that will um, will abate as a result of it being exposed. It's the anonymity of it sometimes, isn't it? Oh, it's totally the anonymity. Uh, people and, will and, and say that provides yeah. A, a, yeah. a sort of a seeming layer of protection for people to to say some incredibly abusive things. And the sometimes. question is whether Twitter and other people um, organisations like this should actually then reveal the names of those people who have been doing it under the cloak of, of anonymity. And sometimes mm. you think, I'd, I'd rather wish they would. But do you not think, do you, are you aware of this new phenomenon of kind of what I would call reverse trolling, where some of the journalists are now starting to troll their readers? So you get Rod, for example, who's, who's uh, tweeting a deliberately provocative tweet. Look at Samantha Brick, you know, that story about her saying, oh, she's so beautiful and people just can't realise that. It inevitably invites the, look, I'm not sexist, but I don't. I think that's just slightly arrogant of you to say that. But she's doing that deliberately to engender the very controversy which gets her the PR and, and... Well, I think her commissioners are doing it, and I'm not sure how much she knew when she first did it, um, how much how that was going to be presented and which photograph would go with it and, and so on. But clearly with fair, Rod... She has since then written pieces, yes. so she is now part of that. I wonder... Uh, right at the beginning, whether she did know exactly what was going on. Well, it sounds like the people commissioning her might have manipulated a little bit, but Rod, for example, would you, I would say, is he trolling his own readers and viewers there? It's part of what he, he does, and only a columnist can decide how far is too far. Um, he decided that was fine. I wonder what he thinks now. It's certainly with Twitter you get um, people who are, are, are expressing sort of thoughts like that. Equally, it's incredibly valuable to news. Um, in terms of sort of, you know, receiving information, getting information, getting pictures, people contacting you, things like that. I, I mean, of course, there are the downsides, um, but um, it is immensely useful, you know, in, in having that relationship with, with people, people sending stuff to you directly that they were, you know, obviously they could email before. But it's not quite the same thing. It's also know? become a news feed. So every news organisation puts doing out it. their stories as soon as they are ready to put them out, and sometimes ahead of time. I mean, there have been occasions when broadcasters, and I won't mention any names, but um, uh, they are were the business editor of the BBC, would actually <laughs> tweet a story um, before um, a bulletin. So the BBC was then not in a position to cover the story properly um, because they were on the back foot. He wasn't necessarily in front of a camera uh, and so on. And, of course, it gives the story to all of your competitors. Mm. Um, so you have to think about these things. But all news organisations now use Twitter to get the story out there, which is why so many stories actually break on Twitter. Not everybody is looking at the BBC or ITV or Sky or, Not at all. Um, or yeah, a newspaper or whatever. Sources. But within seconds, that's where it will end up. And if it's a decent story, people start retweeting it. And it arouses you a direct connection, doesn't it, to people who, who you know, you want to follow and you want to be there. You, you know, you're le- 
relating to them. You know, you're liaising with them. But, I mean, the Evening Standard famously tweeted the budget, didn't they? Well, I think it was last year, wasn't it, that they uh, they released, they tweeted the front page yeah. that said some of it. And clearly the, the Treasury had been briefing the Evening Standard uh, ahead of all the other papers because of their, their short deadline. They're an evening newspaper, aren't they? And it was just a mistake. But do you, do you think this is going to get even worse? I mean, I've known for years, as someone working in PR, that, uh, you know, when you hear someone on the news, a newsreader saying the Prime Minister is about to say or is expected to say, it's just a journalistic sleight of hand to say we've been given a full copy of his speech already but it's under embargo and we'll be telling you what it is in about three minutes. A lot of it is just getting used to the new reality of it where people are able to to access stuff sort of very, very quickly. And I think some of these encroachments in terms of, you know, people tweeting stuff, you know, potentially breaking the law and things, people are getting used to a new technology. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be terminal. I think there's just a whole process of sort of getting used to it. It's, it's incredibly different and new and, and um, reactive. Tim, and think- how, do, how does... Your show, use it. I mean, if you've got a good guest coming up, you presumably, and Jeremy's got, I don't know how many followers, but an awful lot, um, that um, you presumably want people to listen. So you don't necessarily break the story, but you say, we will have such and such a person on. And then, of course, once they've said something controversial, you can then say... Um, as heard or newsworthy. On. Well, yeah, Jeremy I mean, famously tweets the advance kind of trail of his uh, to showing right, three four, words, four, four isn't words, it? Yeah. Four, four words. The show good. coming up in three words. And, and that's the thing with Twitter as well. You know, you haven't got room for oodles and oodles of information. It's, it it work, works very quickly. So, so yeah, no, it does it very well. I would say with us, um, it, it's about sort of telling people, look, we've got this person coming up. You know, you can tweet them. Anybody they're, they're interested in can, you know, sort of read all of that. Also as well, if you've got a great bit of content, it's... it's you know, brilliant for, for sharing it. You know, it's, here's the link, you know, link to Audio Boo or whatever. We have this great interview with X. We just, you know, upload sort of two minutes worth. So you don't have to listen to the whole show. But like the bit that we think you might be interested in, pow, you know, you can grab it equally with a, a picture or something like that. So it works It works very well on, on, on those levels. Tim, what do you do about Facebook? Because I still can't quite get my head mm. around how media ought to use Facebook and who, who are using it well. So what, what does your programme do? Yeah, I mean, we use facebook a lot and and it's very valuable for us i would say i mean things are changing all the time but i would say you know more of our audience is on facebook than twitter by by quite a margin um but then equally you know you don't quite know sort of who who your audience is but certainly you know we we get a very big response on facebook i think because you know a a lot of people are on that platform um you know they, they they choose to you know use that to sound off about particular topics that we've got and also i suppose with facebook um you seem to have sort of you know a lot of discussions you might do a particular discussion on the program but then you might have a discussion between sort of various listeners on Facebook that takes a life of its own you know goes on sort of way into the afternoon sort of you know after you're off air so so that's interesting and also the simple space factor you've got more room on Facebook that if you want to sort of leave a comment that can be read out on air you can do that whereas Twitter obviously tends to be more sort of you know you know, short stuff, links, things like that, articles and stuff. So Facebook is actually very, very valuable. We, we get a very big response on it. And I, does I Jeremy say. engage with that or is that something that happens? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, we read out comments and um, um, and, and Twitter, you know, in particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Facebook's very valuable. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting um, 
um, how popular it seem, seems to be. You know, so I, I kind of view uh, the, the traditional media and social media as having a kind of symbiotic relationship at the moment. You know, because anyone can set up a blog or a campaign on Twitter. You know, there's so many of them, no one pays any attention unless traditional media covers it. And then because it has that quote-unquote legitimacy that traditional media's seen that it's been covered, it then goes crazy on social media. And it also, similarly, traditional media seems to look to Twitter for comments and feedback. They'll say everything's generated a furore on Twitter. You know, where is this going, guys? What's your view? Do you think it's just going to become more entrenched, Torin? Yes, I mean, um, they're, they're both using each other um, and they both feed off each other. But that's the same with broadcasting and newspapers. Um, that uh, they have always fed off each other, either in breaking stories or in comment. Uh, and this is just um, much, much more so. So I, I can see that happening. What is interesting is when the bloggers then become uh, DJs on uh, LBC in their own right, they have far more impact than they probably did as a blogger. A, an awful lot, um, not many bloggers have a huge following and have huge impact. In the political world they do, so some of those political blog blogs have a great uh, uh, a great following but actually to get the big um the big impact you still need to go back to uh, traditional media and does it pose a challenge for traditional media for people like my mum who aren't technological and aren't internet focused at all so when you have to explain what blogs are it's, it's a completely alien term to them really yes and blogs has been around a long time and podcast is a term that's been around a long time and mm. actually um, almost beginning to feel a bit old-fashioned now because everything is moving uh, in so many so in, 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 into so many different ways but uh, you're right about your mum and others um, that the danger is that they will get left behind. I think one of the really interesting things going on at the moment is the huge rise in sales of tablets. Um, mobile, they were talking about for years, as this is the year of mobile, but it never was. Now, mobile is absolutely there, either on phones that are getting bigger, tablets that are small versions of, um, uh, of laptops, but, but different. Uh, and they reckon that in Britain they're going to sell 17 million tablets this year. Now that they've come down to the £100 price bracket in, in Tesco and, and, and so on. And that is just changing the way people relate to their emails, to their programmes, to everything. And that's going to have a huge impact. Do you think, I mean, Tim, do you think this so-called second screening will increase? I mean, it's all the rage with Question Time, isn't it? You, you can't watch Question Time now without your tablet in front of you looking what everyone else is sneering at and, and seeing whether hundreds of people are agreeing or disagreeing. Yeah, no, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I gather they're, they're now designing, um, when they design sofas, they always design sofas now, that the arm on it will be wide enough to carry a laptop, which never would have been a consideration even, say, five years ago. I remember I bought a mobile phone, it was about six or seven years ago, it had like a TV on it, and it was so rubbish and frustrating to watch. I think I watched in total about six minutes of telly on it because it spent all its time buffering. Whereas these days, of course, stuff has moved on dramatically. It's incredible. And there's going to be a tremendous sort of blurring and of, 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 of boundaries in terms of technology and the sort of stuff that, 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 people, are, that, people, that people are watching. So, Tim, you produce a, a radio show that's on the radio that people listen to when they're driving, when they're chopping vegetables in their kitchen. You know, I'm quite discerning, though, in the way that I listen to certain um, uh, radio shows. I do it via podcasting. I'll listen to certain segments of certain shows that have their own individual podcasts, something like the News Quiz, news quiz on Radio 4. I've never listened to it when it's broadcast. I think it's on a Friday night, isn't it, on Radio 4, but I always listen to it 
on the podcast. Do you think this is going to challenge radio in the long term, this, this whole kind of experience where you just sit and listen to something that's been played for you, this so-called curation, curation of content? Do you think that that's dead? Uh, I, I think it's a challenge to TV and radio, this idea that sort of people are not necessarily listening or watching in real time. Um, and often, you know, you get a particular sort of programme. It might, when it actually goes out, um, might not get a sort of particularly big sort of following. But but it's then on the catch up. So sort of people sort of, you know, going online and saying, you hear this is absolutely amazing. Yes, it is. And you're going on iPlayer or whatever, that then you're able to 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 really sort of, you know, attract kind of the audience numbers. Um, I, I mean, I think with a with a new show, the immediacy of it is sort of really important. But obviously, with other programmes, that that's much less important. You know, and the majority of of, of content on media is 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 not live; is it? it's pre recorded. You know, as, as this 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 podcast is. Um, so with that, it's perfectly capable of people sort of catching up sort of afterwards. I do, however, think you know, sort of working in live radio, that there is something about the power an immediacy of a, a, you know, sort of national event. As you saw with Mandela, you know, you're doing it, the news is fresh, people have got something to, 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 to say about it. There is a different dynamic with that. And I think that doesn't always work, again, on sort of catch-up, you know, because you know, the news is, by definition, it's fleeting. So, Torin, you're ex, uh, recently ex-BBC. Do you think they've got a grip on this now in terms of people watching largely on iPlayer now and podcasting, or do you think that they're still thinking...? Nobody's got a total grip on it because it's changing so fast, but I think there are two things um, uh, of interest here. One is that there's an awful lot more television being watched live than um, anybody ever thought. Over 90%... Uh, of TV uh, viewing is still live to a television programme on a television set. Now, that will change. But 10 years ago, people were saying, oh, we'll never be watching live programmes again. We'll always be doing it through whatever the device was at, at that stage. So live television is much more robust than everybody thinks. Though I do think the mobile and the tablet is going to change that. But one of the really interesting things was the uh, Newsnight interview that Jeremy Paxman did recently with Russell Brand. Um, which got well over a million views after the event, which is many more than we're watching at the time. Ironically, I mean, Jeremy Paxman was one of the great um, decriers of the BBC putting money into A, a news channel, and then B, a website. He said, why not put all the money into the proper programmes like Newsnight? And here is now Newsnight under its new editor, actually using these new forms and actually getting Jeremy Paxman a bigger audience. So this is going to change a lot and there are going to be an awful lot of inconsistencies and uh, anomalies uh, uh, as we go there. In radio, um, as Tim says, live radio is fantastic and you, you cannot sort of recreate that um, afterwards even though a lot of other programmes uh, are, are recorded. One of the worries is that younger people are not listening to the radio as much as they did. They've not abandoned it, but they're, they're listening to it less. And the BBC um, radio management are looking very closely at this and how you manage to keep younger people uh, listening. Uh, and the great danger is that um, they will be going over to something called iTunes radio, which, of course, isn't radio at all. It's a jukebox. So, but that's what Radio 1 is, isn't it, really? It's a curated jukebox with some people talking in between the songs. But it's people, and it's the people talking that make it. Um, if you just want to listen to your own record collection or somebody else's, get Spotify. Uh, that's fine. Spotify audiences are going down at the moment. Spotify has never made any money. Um, so th this great new revolution that we were hearing about, it may revive, it may reinvent itself. 
but the beauty of radio, and particularly in Britain, where radio is far more powerful than in any other country in terms mm. of its importance to the public debate and culture, uh, it, nowhere else in the world is like that. And it's because so much effort and so many very talented people go into radio. People do want content and personality. And, uh, and I think that's what you, you get with radio at its best. You know, they don't just want a jukebox because you can quite, you know, we can all assemble our own jukeboxes, can't we? It's not a, it's not a date to listen to a particular radio station to sort of have that, you know. So, so I think, you know, there's always a market for, for, for great content, you know, not just sort of stringing all the records together. So do you think that the challenge for the managers at the BBC and all the other major media organisations is they don't, none of them quite have a vision as to where this is going to go? No one knows for certain how this is going to end up. I think that is the challenge. And the problem is um, you've still got to keep investing in all the new technology because nobody quite knows uh, which is going to work and, uh, and which isn't. And that technology is expensive. Uh, there's a big question mark over digital radio, whether there should be a switch over to um, digital and um, abandoned analogue, not totally, but um, take the main programmes and the main networks off uh, analogue and leave that for local radio uh, and so on. So it's some big questions uh, to, to, to be answered. And if you think that the tablet wasn't around three years ago, if you think how long we've been living with Google and Amazon and Facebook and Twitter, it's not very long think 10 years' time, who knows what's going to happen? So, Tim, it does make you think, though, because certain brands have been in the ascendancy. I remember when, yeah. you know, Microsoft were being sued by the European Commission because everyone was using Internet Explorer, and now it's dead. Apple were in the ascendancy last year, but now, you know, Android devices are starting to chip away. Do you not think that, in terms of even technology, no one quite knows what's going to happen? Who, who knows what's what's happening, you know? Uh, Tori made a very interesting point about um, young people and how they're accessing stuff, you know, because people are watching, um, you know, TV, but not on a TV set. People are making telephone calls through like video games. I mean, where's it all going to lead? You know, and I, 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 I you know, the sort of tender age of sort of 37, I find myself sort of, you know, finding sort of people in their teens and fascinated by their insights in terms of how they're using stuff, how they're using media. What are they liking? You know, because these are the people, you know, the audience and of the future fascinating to think how they're accessing stuff you know content is going to be very very different to the way it ever was but things become accepted norms and unchallengeable and then suddenly they're dead within a year i mean i can remember friends reunited no one no one talks Me about too. that now and then massive it, at the time wasn't it everybody was wanting then to itv it. bought it um and made a mess not, of it not their best, uh, <laughs> yeah. best, but, but if you think of myspace if you think bebo was the great big way of getting kids and youth and Bebo was the great way of getting kids and youth, and um, and that went uh, yeah. uh, uh, as well. So none of these companies are guaranteed a future, and somebody could come along with something bigger and better, and they can go quite quickly. It's interesting because even you know I have lots of friends that have kind of de-facebooked, and they're not on Facebook, or even if they are, they'll check it once a month now because they they think it's the same old thing. And you know, Twitter, lots and lots of younger people in that demographic yeah. aren't on Twitter. It's it's the kind of old. It's like people like me in their mid to late thirties that are on Twitter. But a lot of young people. Are on Twitter, aren't they? Because I think of the sort of two demo. I think of sort of companies, people in media, um, uh, and and a lot of young people. I mean, it's interesting the, the the demographic of the type of people who are on Twitter. So I felt a lot of young people are on it. Maybe I'm, but maybe but I'm out of touch. Very, maybe it is not. very very fashion oriented, and and they can move. And if they Quickly. suddenly don't like something, and something better comes along, they will move very very quickly. Uh, and what is so interesting is that you do not inv need to invest in lots of capital. Sort of, you when you used to That's publish true. a newspaper, 
that cost a huge amount to yeah. launch a newspaper. Now you can launch a media brand with very, very little. And indeed, well, although the Media Society has been going for 40 years, we are <laughs> operating, we are a charity and operating with very, very little. And we're, as you can see, we're kind of foraying into the podcast ourselves. Just remains for me to thank my two guests, esteemed guests, Tim Collins from the Jeremy Vine Show. And you, you're not on Twitter, are you? You said earlier we were going to mention your at sign then. No, to no, people no, no. Follow I, you. I am on Facebook or you can write to me with pen and ink. <laughs> Could I send a carrier pigeon? You, you can send <laughs> Could a I send a speckled pigeon, yeah, gym? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, with, right with a quill. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Parchment. But, but Torin, uh, you are on Twitter. You, what's your Twitter ID, please? It's very straightforward, at Torin Douglas. And you can follow the Media Society at at the Media Society. And you can follow me personally, Paul Blanchard, on at Paul W.R. Blanchard. If you do want to join the Media Society, you can do so by going onto our website, www.themediasociety.com. This has been the official Media Society podcast, and you'll hear from us again in a month. Goodbye. A Big Things Media Production. Big Things!